House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. We are back in the House of Mystery. Thank you for joining us. Today we have author from the UK, C.A. Asprey. Thank you for being here, Christine. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. I'm very pleased to be here. Well, Christine, it looks like you've written a lot of books, and it's all about the innocence. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> what got you into writing? Where, where did the writing bug come from? To be honest, it's something I wanted to do all my life, but I think like many people, um, careers and family and, and real life get in the way. Um, and I had quite a long career, which... Uh, gave me lots and lots of experiences which helped, helped me write eventually but I was slowed down by a, a very serious accident in 2005 and that's when I thought wait a minute I've now got the time to finally do what, it, what I've always wanted to do so I started writing these books a series of books yeah I, but I, I noticed now okay so your books you like to focus on things like um uh, you, you say you have uh, the early forensic and detection methods and, um, and the Victorian sort of era. Um, what made you go that direction? You know, I don't, I don't know why the Victorian era has always fascinated me. Um, there's a number of things about it that attract me. I mean, I know we think of them as being <clears throat> old fogies and, and it's quite a staid era, but actually the average age in the Victorian era was quite young it, it, the, the majority of the population were quite young they actually saw themselves as quite thrusting and forward thinking technology was moving at a really rapid pace the country was opening up it, the, the railways brought towns together unified, <coughs> unified time zones communication was, was there with the telegraph all these things means that from the beginning of the century to the end of the century, you, you went from a very much an old world to the beginning of the modern world within that period. And, it's, and the technology and the fact it moved at an exponential race, rate. So I've always found that really, really interesting. And the way it sets around old world values, as well as people pushing against that to bring things into the modern time, it, it, it's... That, that struggle has always been quite interesting for me, um, and the, the hypocrisies of, of the, the era as well. Uh, but you know, it, 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 that must take a lot of research to go back to that time and to make sure you get things right, because it's all got to be very, you know, precise. You've got you've to have the details correct, otherwise people, you know, they, 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 that kind of bothers a, a reader, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> things like that have always bothered me, and um, I've been very lucky to have been congratulated on, on the veracity of the, of, of the things. And quite often I'm bringing in things that were invented much earlier than people actually think they were, um, because it, there are certain things that we think the Victorians wouldn't have, which in fact they did. The fax was invented before the telephone, for instance. Um, so it's, it's, it's really interesting to use things that people think are anachronisms, but they're not, um, because it tells us more about the era and the, the way that we, we saw humanity was starting to change as well. Uh, 
equal rights were starting to be pushed for in a way that had never been happened had never happened before. Uh, the, the society was changing, ideas were changing, science was changing, religion was changing. It was being challenged by science. It was being challenged by society, who wanted wanted religion to serve them rather than just dictate to them. It certainly, certainly in in Europe and especially in Scotland, that was happening. So it, it was a it, it's a time that I find absolutely fascinating. I've spent years researching it. <clears throat> Mainly was, because it's just something I'm very interested in. I was going to say that must take a long time uh, to get everything right, as well as uh, not only the, you know, the how society was and science and all that you're talking about, but also the way people spoke and the way they their mannerisms were quite different. Mm. They absolutely were. Um, one of my bugbears is when I look at uh, women on the, on screen wearing long skirts clutching them up and hiking them up in front of them, they actually twisted them to the side. And you'd see old photographs or footage of women walking in long skirts. They didn't pull them up from the front. But that's what all the actresses do. Uh, you know, there's, there's so many little things that people take for granted that actually never happened. Um, and they, even sexually, they, they were much more experimental than people think. They just generally weren't that way with their their wives <laughs> so it's it's <laughs> it is a fascinating time for for all the the, the dichotomy that they had is there and something as i say i've spent years reading about it and researching it and compiling notes on it so it's uh it all came to fruition when i eventually was slowed down yeah is there is there something you think that we get really wrong with with what Victorian era was and, and the way people were? Yeah, I, th I think people think that they were very staid, um, very strict. They were strict, uh, but probably not in the way that you think. <clears throat> they were more, it, they were a lot more demonstrative, I think, than people uh, believe them to be. Men cried a lot more often in Victorian times than they did in the early 20th century, and there are many, many records of that. The men actually wept much more easily. It was more acceptable, especially especially for things like deaths and things like that. But then, the beginning of the 20th century, that was becoming something that you, you, you did in private, if you did it at all. So it was, and uh, quite a few things, even like, just small things like one conversation I have in one of the books about the wearing of wedding rings taking for granted that it's always the third finger of the left hand. Well, no, that wasn't the case at all. Men, many men didn't wear them at all until well into the 20th century. And if they did, many most Europeans, the Northern Europeans and the British, they wore them on the little finger of the left hand. So oh. it, women wore them on the third finger of the left hand, but men, not men. So it's a, it, it's a, there's lots of things that people think are much older than they are. So now, or it, now this is a, a series series of books, I guess. The Innocence. Um, what's the premise behind that? Yeah, well, the the premise behind it is, uh, is anybody who's looked at my blog or knows anything about me is I'm an ex police officer, and uh, when I when I first started, and I was trained by one of the older police women, and she joined years and years back. Um, I mean, I joined in the seventies, so she. She had joined in the 50s, 
and then she was telling tales of what women in the police service from wartime had told her and she was very very good at telling stories and making them very funny um, and I found her stories about what, all these women in law enforcement going way back wonderful and I just wondered why have I never heard of these before I was even interested enough to join the police but nobody ever told me these stories about all these amazing women and what they did um, so I started to look back at how the first women in, in law enforcement and the first ones I found going back and back and back um, in the UK and Europe, it was largely around World War One to fill in for men. And then in the USA, you, can, you get earlier, you get some an occasional sheriff or, or a deputy or something of that nature. But the, the Pinkerton Department, the, the Pinkerton uh, Detective Agency are the first to employ women as fully-fledged detectives. And they did the same job as men. They were very, very well trained. Alan Pinkerton was very much a proponent of modern policing and the scientific method that was taking root in Europe for detecting at that time. And he, he, he would collate all of these techniques and bring them into detectives. And he trained the women in them as well. So I, I, it made me think, well, what's, again, why have I never heard much about these amazing women? Many of us, us have heard of Kate Warren and her amazing work um, as a spy during the Civil War and uh, immediately after and, and the, the, the murders and the, the thefts and things that she investigated. <clears throat> but they specialised in working undercover to gain intelligence. And I thought, I, I don't want to write about Kate Warren. I think a lot have, has been written about her. I want to write about a character, another character, who did that type of work just as a, a detective and I've read books about with female Pinkertons in them but I've always found them to, uh, to be either a love interest or a sidekick and I wanted to make a, a fully fledged intelligent, modern in the Victorian sense detective with an interest in science and who's very good at her job and very dedicated to her job and then when I created this character I then wanted to give her some really good opponents who have created the the innocence which I suppose if you your nearest equivalent would, would be Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid from, from the movie and just imagine if a very intelligent, skilled undercover female detective had been on their trail and that's basically the premise of these books hmm. Now I, one thing that caught me was that you say it's a uh, uh, based on fictionalized versions of real crimes. So, so if you explain that to us, that would be kind of. Um, so you're saying you're taking a real crime that happened, mm. and you're put you're applying your fictional character detective to yes. it. Yes, yes. Um, not all of the crimes are fictionalized because I usually have more than one crime in the book, and they, they link into one another. And sometimes they they, they act as a red herring to another crime and things of that nature. But um, what I'll do is I'll take, take a real crime, but then I'll change it, because aficionados of real crime would be able to spot that and then know who did it. And I hate reading a book knowing who did it. Right. So I will change it up. So it, what, I would, what I always say is everything in the book is possible, but it didn't necessarily happen. Well, it, it absolutely could have happened in the time because it's based on real events. 
Um, for, for instance, the first book, there's something that's uh, based on, on uh, the Bloody Benders in Kansas, but that's been changed up a bit, and everybody knows about the Bloody Benders in, Ka in Kansas and how they, they, they killed people who uh, they caught out on the plains, and uh, then they disappeared. Of course, my version is different, but it's based upon people who prey on people out in the roads in a similar sense. Um, of course, there's another crime mixed through it as well, and the two feed into each other, and you don't know whether they're connected and whether they don't. Because I like to, I like to make it a wee bit hard for for the reader to to guess who done it. <laughs> How do you pick what crime you're going to uh, use in the book then, if they're real crimes? What I tend to do is I'll I'll choose something that is uh, catches my interest. The, the benders were interesting because they disappeared. We never, we never really found them again, did we? So they were very interesting for that. Uh, that what they did to people in themselves is just we call it modern day robbery and mugging and whatever. It's in in itself, it's nothing that glamorous, but uh, it catches in imagination and and places it in a time and space and things that were actually going on around that time. So it anchors your story. <clears throat> then, then what I'll do is I'll, I, I will also add an invented crime on top of that, and, and muddle the two together. All the clues are in the books. That's that's one of my rules. You can always you can always guarantee that every clue that you need is in the book, but you might not have spotted it. How, so now, your character, your main character, um, Detective Abigail McKay. How is it that you have created her like where does that person come from well they say write what you know and uh, I, I did work in the states for many years and there's, there's one thing I know it's uh, about working in the USA as Scottish woman so that, <laughs> that gave me that idea and there's various humorous bits that you can get from people not understanding her accent or, or mispronouncing things or that, that you can throw in there just to humanize it and, and, and make it make it a bit humorous because people do comment on the fact that the books can, can also be quite funny as well yeah um, but, but who, who do you draw from other people you actually know or or have seen or met um, to develop that Abigail's character? an amalgam of lots of women I've actually worked with um, I've had people say that they think she's like me, but I don't think she is. Um, she's more emotional than me, um, and she's cleverer than me. She knows stuff that I have to look up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, she's 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 uh, a bit of a flawed character, as a, as in she's got a tragic past. Uh, Pinkerton didn't take married women, but she is a Mrs. Mackay. That's how Scots pronounced. That Mackay, we, we pronounce it Mackay. Um, she is Mrs. Mackay, and she is a widow, and so she's got a tragic past, and she's lonely, and and due to bereavement, she can be prone to melancholia, as they called it in those days, which we now know as depression. So she she has her own flaws and her own problems, and and what have you, and uh, it's it all goes to make a much more rounded character. Whereas I'm I'm not at all prone to the, that sort of thing, and. Uh, as I say, I think she's more emotional than me, and she's a lot cleverer than me. 
I also think she's more determined than that, than I am. Although it's <laughs> it's uh, she, she's a strong woman who knows what she wants to do. And she's very dedicated to her job. Um, she wants to do it basically because she's suffered tragic loss and she wants to help people in that same situation get some justice. And that's what that's what her driver is. And then she meets these criminals that she's sent to bring in. And uh, they're not at all what she, she expects them to be. She's quite confounded by them. Hmm. Um, so it, 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 does it ever surprise you sometimes what the character ends up doing? Oh, yeah, I love it when that happens. I absolutely love it when that happens. And uh, it's, uh, it always makes for a better scene. And I've had uh, even minor kind of characters run off. I had someone I had uh, aimed up as the, the main, the main murderer suddenly shoot herself, and I thought, where did that come from? So I went with it, and ended up with a much better story. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you have an underlying theme to your book? Like, so when someone picks up one of your books and they're reading it and they get through the story, um, is there something else you're trying to pass on to that reader? Um, I think the, the theme that of all my books would really be redemption. It's that it's never too late to start again and, and to, to move forward in a positive way. Um, that's true for the criminals that she comes across, and it's true for her. And it's, it's, uh, it's always about driving n not just those characters, but also making society a better and a fairer place. Well, well, hopefully people start reading. <laughs> we, we, I hope so too. Yeah, we did more of it. Um, <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, so, do, do you find that the outside influences around you affect how you write? Yes, definitely. Um, I can't write when I'm upset. Um, when the COVID thing first happened, um, there were lots, lots of deaths here and whatever. <clears throat> Pardon me. It was quite upsetting, and I'd, 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 I found I couldn't write. And uh, speaking to lots of writer friends, they were all in the same boat. I think that's an Achilles heel for a lot of writers, is being upset. But then once you have time to marinate that, you end up using it in your book. Oh, so do you think you, you get a little darker um, when because of it, or, you get, or how, do you, how do you think it comes out? Um, for me, I, I always have a combination of dark and light anyway. Um, some of the scenes in the book are very funny. Some of the, <clears throat> some of the, the books are quite dark. One of the, the books in particular is very dark. And uh, I have had to warn readers about it because it really takes, takes uh, the, the main characters to some very dark places indeed. But in the end... It shows that you can get through the hard times, and it it does turn round at the end. But I've had people say to me, "Oh, I can't read this anymore. It's too that is too much for me." And as a as a writer, that's you, you want them to read your book, but it's also a huge compliment because it means that you're touching them. Your writing's actually making them feel something. Wow. Um, how do you feel about your characters? Like, do you have a r relationship with them? Like, I hear all sorts of um, writers that, that do fiction, um, especially in crime. Uh, they tend to consider their 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 characters um, 
children at times, or they 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 call them all sorts of uh, endearing names. How do you feel? Yeah, I don't have a name for them, but they definitely run around in the he- in my head, and they can go off in in their own direction at times. Uh, and I know a lot of people do that. And sometimes you're struggling with a scene, you just lie in bed, and they, you just give them free reign, and off they go, and they'll go and do their own thing. And as I say, it always makes for a better story. I think uh, it's they're almost like self-contained personas in your head of each different one, and you you know who each one is. The diff- the completely different people when you, when you when one of them speaking, you f- you feel their body language, you feel how they t- how they talk, how they move, how they how they they feel about the other people round about them. It's very, very odd. It's almost like a, a schizophrenic <laughs> situation, but it's but it's creative. Um, it's uh, it's very hard to explain and sound sane. Yeah, no, I know. I find it very interesting um, how how writers do that. Um, it's, yeah, it's just, uh, it seems, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how you do it, so... <laughs> I don't know how you, I don't know how I would write a character that I couldn't do that with. I, I was starting a new series just now that's going to be set in the UK, and it's there's one of the characters that I've been struggling with, and he's only just starting to come to life for me now. I'm only just finding out who he is and what he does and what his motivations are. I don't know of who he would be, but he's not turned out to be the same as I thought he would be. Now, now he's starting to meld into a person in my head. Ah, it's interesting. Uh, do, who do you who do you read for influence, or do you? Oh, I I, I started reading very very early. I, I, I was two when I started to read. Um, I joined the adult section of the library when I was about nine, and I, I started. <laughs> I cut my teeth on Agatha Christie around that time, um, and I think I've read everything I can get my hands on on crime um, whodunits murders true crime the psychology behind crime psychoanalysis of of criminals I've just read voraciously my whole life and I like to think that all of that has been put together of course there's things I've learned in my work as well that comes into it as well so I it's it's just been a culmination of a journey shall we say. Wow. Um, how, how do you feel about uh, the writing world? Do you like the way things are now with, with Amazon and, and, and uh, the freedom that comes with it? Or How do you feel? Um, I'm fairly new to writing. I mean, I only got a publishing deal just a few years ago. Uh, before that, I'd never self-published or anything. I have no problem with people self-publishing their books. Um, all power to them. I think it can be too hard to get in front of a publisher for many people. Um, I myself was rejected for by many before I, if I found someone who would take them on. Um, they told me that uh, it was westerns weren't selling, and I said that's fair enough. It's not a western though. It's, it's a series that it starts in the West, but like the Pinkertons, that they go all over, they go all over the USA and even into Canada, because that's where they worked. But it's not a Western. And then they 
I was also told that it's uh, as a love story. It moved too slow, and I said, "Well, it's not a love story. There's a building relationship between the two characters, but really, a, a Victorian upright woman wouldn't jump into bed with with an, a criminal in the, the first two chapters." It's, <laughs> it, the, there's lots of people who did not get what I was doing, and I wanted to make the characters quite realistic of the, in the place and time. Um, and yes, there is a growing relationship between um, the, my main character and one of the main criminals. They're both different sides of the same coin. She uses the sciences to to uh, solve crimes. He uses them to commit them. Uh, but when you find out his backstory, you find out he's got, there's a lot of reasons why he ended up as a criminal, and uh, they're really they're really quite tragic as well. And strangely, they echo things that have been happening recently in the USA as well. The, the, the discrimination of, of immigrants and his, his family were caught up in anti-Catholic riots and killed. Uh, ended up being put in care. Uh, he was going to be sold for cheap labour to a farm, then so he ran off. And by running off, he he ended up uh, falling into bad company. And because he was clever, he his crimes tended to not be petty crimes. He tended to be very good at it because he was he was a very clever man. And uh, he's the the other side of her coin, if you like. She's she's used all those powers to, to solve crime and investigate them, but they are in, inextricably drawn to one another. So it's that that's a that's something that builds and builds and builds throughout the series. It's uh, it's more of a will they won't they than a don't go in expecting it to be full blown romance because it's not. It, they are they are mysteries with romance in them. So now, with these innocents, uh, you, you really kind of have to read them in order, don't you? Or can they be read on their own? I've, I'm told you can read them on their own, but they're much better in order. Uh, they, they are definitely much more or be, much better in order. The first three, the, the, they start with each. How can I put it? The, each one has a self-contained whodunit that doesn't relate to a previous book, but they, they can, the books connect with an overarching story of the relationship between the main characters and also between the the uh, main criminal, the, 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 the hero or the anti-hero, if you want to call him that, because he's a criminal. The, his uh, arch-enemy is determined to, to get him killed and he doesn't care who else gets killed in the process. So that 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 overarching sto- story, they, they connect with a much bigger crime, and they they, they culminate in that book six. So the whole series is out there. Um, the 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 uh, connection is the much much larger crime, and the larger crime is what you, what's exposed in in book six at the end. But each one has a, has a self-contained murder mystery in it. Hmm. So where do you see yourself going with this series? Do you, is this something you're going to keep going for a long time? Well, it's I, I, I thought I'd finished it, but people have been asking for more, so you never know. I'll <laughs> never say never. Never say never. <laughs> well, you, are you going to go into other areas uh, of writing, other styles? I've started, I've started writing a, a whodunit that's based in the UK. Um, that's, I'm about halfway through that one. And again, it, uh, me being me, I can't do anything that's normal, so I have to 
do something that's a bit weird. So it's a case of a woman who's on the run for a murder that she didn't commit who knocks on a door of a convent looking for looking for some sanctuary and of course these aren't real nuns. So things get strange from there and not just for her but for the detective that's on her trail as well. Ah, interesting. Yeah, that's good. Uh, what What do you recommend for someone that's uh, a new writer? What would you tell them they should do? Write, 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 and uh, it's a case of give it to people that you trust, not people who are going to tell you what you want to hear, but people will tell you what's wrong with it. I've been very, very lucky to have friends who've done that for me. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. Um, so. So. A lot of feedback, do you, do you take to heart people that give reviews and things like that as well, or do you kind of stay away from that? I don't look at the reviews very often, I must admit, but the feedback I take is from the, the people that I know have my best interests at heart. I mean, for instance, the feedback from publishers saying that Westerns aren't selling, well, it's not a Western, uh, this, is, this isn't romantic enough. That, that's feedback that I threw aside. Some, I think you have to be able to filter your feedback as to whether or not you can use it or not. If it's not useful for you to do to improve, then throw it away. If it's only going to undermine you and stop you from writing, it's not useful. It's my philosophy. Right, right. No, it's, it's interesting. It's good. It's good. Um, now, do you have a website or a blog or something like that as well that you think people should come find you at? I do. I have a blog. It's, uh, it's just called caaspray.com, and it's, uh, it's contains all sorts of things, not just bits about my writing, but I, I, in it I collect lots of obscure murders and crimes and uh, strange and odd historical facts in Victoriana, and it's all sorts of, even the mundane things, like how, what did pe- people... What did women do when they had their periods, for instance, in the past? Lots of, you, you never taught this stuff at school. Right. And uh, it's all this mundane stuff. And funnily enough, it's those sort of pages that get the most hits. And then, of course, there's the, the major crimes and the scandals. And the, the another bit I like is the crimes that don't get committed anymore. Oh. Because I, mean, I, I find that quite fun. Things like... Yeah. Um, impersonating a relative that's gone missing. That doesn't happen anymore, not since we've had DNA. And uh, <laughs> things, things of that nature. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, quite like, I quite like to play with those. Yeah, I guess that would be uh, interesting, right? Because that's something you could get away with. There, there wasn't a lot of you, DNA or photos. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's some famous cases where the, the person... There's a famous Australian one uh, where the guy turned up and he was about six foot, uh, sorry, six, six inches taller and really, really much heavier. He was the uh, son of a butcher boy instead of the, the lord that he was, he, he was supposed to be that was lost at sea. But the mother, the mother was desperate to have her son back, so accepted him. Um, and it wasn't until the mother died that the rest of the family drummed him out, drummed him out as an imposter. But that was a court case that went on for years and years and years as he hung on to this false identity and possibly the money. Um, I, I like things like that, and there's things like that in the blog. And there's uh, there's another one that's quite 
another page that people find very popular are the the boy the women that signed up to to fight in the civil war and you look at their pictures there are lots and lots of pictures there and they're very obviously not fully grown men <laughs> any of the boys or the women and it's so obvious but they they, they signed up and they did unusual things and I like the unusual sides of history there's lots and lots of pages of that in there yeah it's pretty amazing how much has happened and and to look back and to uh, not to realize it and then all of a sudden you find out it's I, I think it's great yeah, it's very enlightening very enlightening um, okay so um, what what is up next for uh, C.A. Asprey. Well, I'm going to finish this book, to finish the one I'm working on, and uh, get that out to publishers and and take it from there. And if people like that, then there's possibly a new series with these these very odd nuns. <laughs> <laughs> well, you aren't really nuns, so it's, <laughs> you, you don't have to worry about it being all all, all religious or or prim and proper. They're the complete opposite of that. <laughs> that's good sounds fun wow well um, we're going to have your uh, books your website up connected to ours your blog site and um, it's been a pleasure talking to you and our, our guest today is C.A. Asprey and uh, uh, the series we're talking about is The Innocence uh, thank you for being on the show thank you it's a pleasure it's been lovely to speak to you and uh, thank you for inviting me to find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.